Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Reading out of Galatians chapter 5. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other within us. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful thoughts, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Wait for it. Wait for it. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Father, we come before you and we seek a humble heart. There's so much we have to learn. This morning we pray that you would teach us from your word, instruct us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, that was one really long passage of Scripture, wasn't it? Had to stand the whole time, hopefully listening. Um, This is the first in a three-part series that we've really uh, struck our creative Um, height by calling really important stuff, okay? Um, And today, this first one that I really genuinely believe is really important stuff deals with power. 
This is actually the process of two messages that I've kind of put together uh, somewhat in the hope that that by doing this, you'll listen. And somehow by doing this, it can get past some of the defensiveness that some of us in this room will have. We're going to start here. We're going to end up over here. Please follow along. This scripture that we've just talked about is discussing the fruit of the Spirit. And it outlines what that is. A few weeks ago, I touched just briefly in the way of explanation because of a a situation on um, what's referred to in Scripture as the gifts of the Spirit. These things are taught about, it's throughout Scripture, but they're taught about, it it particularly is expressed at Pentecost, but it's taught about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches about these gifts of the Spirit, Uh, everything from teaching to healing to speaking in tongues, strange as that may seem, or prophetic word of, uh, of, of encouragement or, or instruction. Um, and it says these things are legit, don't, don't shut them down in the sense of don't forbid them or deny them. But then it rolls right into the 13th chapter. You have to do things in context. And the 13th chapter begins and says, literally, even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, then it's just, it's nothing. It means nothing. It's like a clanging cymbal. It's annoying. It's, it's no good. That love is supposed to be a guiding principle in the usage of any gifts or how we operate as a church. And not the love you're hearing about of the world right now that affirms everything. Love is difficult and, and, and hard and sometimes bloody in its commitment and in its desire to see the best for an individual. And then it goes into the 14th chapter which um, talks about a number of things, but, but twice in there it says these things are to be done in order. You don't just randomly break out in the middle of a gathering. So there's to be done in order, and for us that's meant that if someone is practicing these gifts or feels that they are, they go to the pastor who's responsible that day for the service and, and shares, and they can validate that and, and express that. They don't just randomly break out unless they're recognized as having that particularly. Here's the thing. I was raised in the Pentecostal tradition, I know for some of you that can be a really weird thing. It was for us too, trust me at times. Um, Pentecostals have been known uh, to have passionate worship and, and um, a passionate expression of holiness in their lives, things like this. Theology, not so strong, not so deep. I think the- Pentecost probably, I think, no kidding aside, I think has developed one theo- theologian, known theologian in the last probably 90 years. The other side of that equation was what we've talked about is it traditionally has been Presbyterianism, not how it's necessarily practiced today, but the overall thought. Presbyterianism tended to have very dry worship, but very deep roots of theology and depth of teaching. And so we've said that in this church that we're striving to be presbycostal, okay? That we're, we're trying to have that blend of deep theology while, um, and truth while at the same time embracing the passion of what's involved. So when I was growing up, um, I would see many of these manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, the way it often was expressed in the circles that um, I was part of was uh, uh, the power of the Spirit. And there's a truth. There's a power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit empowered the early church to speak the Word and to do different things, and there's absolute truth with that. 
But I would hear this all the time, power. And I would see people caught up with expressing this power or of sometimes the attention it brought to express these gifts and the abilities. I see these same individuals who moved in the power, allegedly at least, of the Spirit, walk into the parking lot and then cuss somebody out or smack them upside the head or do something else. And I'm like, how does that work? That you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of your life, if you will, is, is denying that. that. That the fruit of the Spirit, this patience, this kindness, this goodness, this gentleness, even the self-control, um, wasn't present. We've been an incredibly blessed church. We do not have power struggles. We haven't had that for decades. We discuss things vigorously, but never violently. There's been no schisms. Power is not part of our structure as a church. Authority, yes, but that's a whole different thing. And so I'm, I'm cautious about how power is expressed or spoken of in general, whether it's in giftings or in other ways within our lives. Things that we can orient to out of certain needs that drive us or ignorance Lately, I've been hearing a commercial for California psychics. You know, they've got the best psychics. I have no idea what that means. We have the best liars that possibly you can have. Um, We have the best people at deceiving you and thinking that we have an understanding of things. And I think if I called them up and I were to say, I want a reading on the game today, that the answer I would get is we prophesy and we, we, we tune in that there will be a winner. Okay, wow, that's pretty good. Scripture tells us we're not to have anything to do with psychics, anything to do with witchcraft or anything else. But we strive for that. We reach for that. There's a house in the corner of 16 just down the road here. Utica has been there forever. They advertise psychics, and they also have something, I think, for injuries and falls. I don't know if they do the same thing, and like we knew you were coming in. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure how that works. I have no idea what that is, and if you own that thing and you're here today, my apologies. Um, let's talk, all right? But then you knew I'd ask that, didn't you? Why do we reach for that type of stuff? Because we want control in our lives. We want to try to make sense of it. We want to, um, to, to know what's going to take place and bring some degree of control in our lives. This year is going to be one of the most divisive years. Or is it going to be a divisive year? Is it going to be divisive or is it going to be divisive? I don't know. Let's fight about that. It's going to be a dividing year. How are we going to handle it? How will we deal with it as a church, as a nation? How will we deal with it as people? I heard a commentator ways back said how, how they got by in any conversation, whether it was someone leaning politically left or politically right, uh, they would just hear them talk and their response, these three responses got them through the conversation without any conflict at all, so I give it to you to navigate the year. Someone says whatever they're saying, you just say, I know. Doesn't matter where they're going, they'll, oh, you know. Then if they keep going, you say, yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, those lefties, yeah, those right, yeah, it's crazy. The final one is, when is everybody going to wake up? You can say that someone, radical left, radical right, they're going to agree with you either way because both sides are waiting for the other side to wake up.
These things are so shallow, but nobody's willing to dig deeper. Nobody's willing to break bread and talk through the issues. So these shallow things I've just offered to you work <laughs> because we don't break bread. We don't dig deeper. We've stopped listening to other people, and we've stopped listening, I even think, many times to God. We want the gifts, and we want the power, and the church in this country wants that power, but we're not seeking or expressing any of the fruit of the Spirit in the process of it. There are two natures fighting within us, we're told in Scripture. The old man, or the fleshly man, and, and the new man, the, the, the man of the Spirit, the one of the Spirit. And you can think perhaps of the old Indian proverb, you know, the old Indian chief's talking and saying, yes, little running fox, there are two wolves that fight within you. Well, and they seek to control you. Well, which one will win, Grandpa? The one that you feed, running little fox. Okay, you know? But there's a truth to that statement. The old man within us that does things the old way, the natural way, and then there is the one that is within us of the Spirit. Which one do we give space to? Which one do we feed? Which one do we seek and allow for? When we look at this passage of Scripture, when we look at the, the, the natural man, if you will, that's being expressed here, it talks about um, sexual immorality. We get concerned in the church about some of the LGBTQ issues and things, and that's something we should have a conversation about. But massively, overwhelmingly, the sexual immorality, heterosexually within the church, is much more of an issue than LGBT at any given time. Many of us as young people, 20-somethings, whatever else, have absolutely convinced without a doubt that you can sleep around with whoever you want to as long as you love them. And that is not biblical or right. This passage of sexual immorality is saying that's not acceptable. Well, where is it saying? Sexual immorality defined in Scripture is any sex outside of marriage, period. doesn't matter if you love them or not. If you're not married, it's not supposed to be happening. Oh, those terrible 20-somethings, young people. That's happening 60s and 70s. There's more sex going on in the, in the old folks' home. Dead serious, guys. More STIs popping out now there in, in their retirement homes than there are in any other time in history. We ignore these things. We see these things more and more working within us. These idolatry is a huge one. We lift certain things or certain people up and we find ourselves worshiping them. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, hostility, dissension, division, all of this. Is your faith more important than your politics? It should be. Then why are you more inclined to call out an opponent on a political manner than you are to call out your political idol when he or she botches some issue of faith or misapplies the scripture or tries to apply those things in a way that, that is completely wrong? Which is more worth defending your faith or your politics. Both are important. But your Christian faith has to be the stronger issue. There's a writer, um, a documentary that I'm, person that I'm, I'm not sure I'd agree with as an individual. I don't know. I don't know the person. They're doing a documentary that I'm not even sure I'll like or approve of in any way. But they made a statement in their review of this they said, Christianity is in crisis. 
And then he went on to say, to be clear, Christianity is not the problem. And having one's faith inform one's political belief is not the problem. I appreciated that. goes on, though, to say this. The problem is the intertwining of a Christian identity with a political identity such that it can be hard to tell where one ends and the other begins. The intertwining of a Christian identity with a political identity such that it can be hard to tell where one ends and the other begins. And then went on to say that that this led them to explore this topic for their own reason, but said what I learned in the process is the threat may be even greater to the church itself than it is to the thing that he originally was reviewing and processing. We could dismiss him. Maybe he's liberal. Maybe he's an anti-Christian. Maybe he's whatever. I don't know. But I think he's tapped into something of truth. And we sit here and say, well, if they aren't part of our tribe, then we can't accept what they said. The recent issue with Harvard's president on plagiarism was hard for the school to accept. They're still resisting it in many ways because it came from a, a, a group that had not handled some things well in the past or was hostile politically to them. And so they rejected it. But that group had actually tapped into something that evidently had some truth to it. In the same way, we can resist or reject certain elements of truth just because it comes from a source that we don't like. Ironically, Harvard's original, for hundreds of years, um, their, their uh, motto was truth for Christ and church. That was their motto. A few decades back or so, I think it is, they dropped the Christ and church part, and now it's truth, and it looks like they may have even tossed that one out for all practical purposes, but have we, as the church, dropped Christ and the truth? I can tell that you're really enjoying this message today, and uh, I anticipated somewhat of that. There are churches today in this country that are growing massively because they're staking out very intense political issues and blending the flag with the cross of Christ. We decided a long time ago we would not do that. There's the gifts of the Spirit and there's power. But it wasn't meant for power, but for caring for the people of God, drawing people to Christ. It was to focus attention on the giver not on the practice. The same power that's been given the church, the same moral authority that was given the church made it clear a long time ago it was not to be the slave of the church nor was it ever to be the master of the church. It was meant to be the conscience, rather, of the country. It was meant to be the conscience of the country. The fruit of the Spirit was something to show that God was working in a life. The fruit isn't something that you work at and and. You know, you never see a peach tree, as a friend of mine said, you know, grunting, you know, mid-season. Got to get out that peach. It's something that naturally flows from who it is an identifier. I'm not sophisticated enough in my understanding at all to, to look at a tree and out of season, when the fruit's not there yet, just see the leaves and say, oh, that is this tree or that tree. I can't do this. Some of you can do that. I can't. But if I go along and I see this hanging on a tree... I pull this down, I can look at it. I'm, I'm, I'm bright enough that I can sit here and say, gosh darn, that there's an orange tree. <laughs> you know, because I can see that. 
No, I would sit here and say this is a apple tree because that is the fruit that is produced by it. And I can see that and I can identify with that. So when I talk to a young person who is hateful of Christianity because they see Christianity as only conforming to some kind of right-wing fantasy of power and control in this country, it is my primary concern that my faith in Christ be understood to them. That they see Christ and not my party affiliation or identification and certainly not an individual that I would raise up without criticisms. There's another passage of scripture. There's like a whole bunch of them. And there's one in John chapter 15 where Jesus is talking. We should listen to him because he says, I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit even. So they'll produce even more, but he gets rid of the ones that aren't. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. A little statement for hell right there. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. It'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And that brings glory to God. There's this vineyard out in California, of course, in our country. And it talks about pruning the branches. And he says, why do we prune? Because if the vine is not pruned, it reverts very quickly to its wild nature, to its natural state, if it's not pruned, if it's not checked. Climbing everywhere with its long sinewy trunk and tiny scraggly bunches of uneven grates, every year, he says, we need to assess the growth of the vines and decide whether to prune them back harder or to let them grow a little bit bigger or return them to the same size and shape they were the year before. But every year, we're going to do some pruning to make sure that that thing's producing properly. It says if we prune correctly, the vine will be balanced. That means it'll grow just enough. If it grows too much, the resulting wines will be thin and simple if left unchecked. I thought that was very interesting. Thin and simple. If it grows too little, the wine will be bitter and hard. A choice between being simple or bitter and hard. But the right amount of growth, or what he says we call balanced growth, results in balanced wines that are delicious and blah, blah, blah. But it's that sense of balance. Caught that there was Noted, it was a song written for a marching song for children in England. It's never meant for adults. But if we accept that the original premise of it, which I think was true, was to define a spiritual battle, that this was meant to be a spiritual conflict, that it was not designed to be a physical conflict, it's only not a political one, that it was to be a spiritual conflict. That it wasn't meant to get into targeting people and demonizing them. 
no matter how much we disagree with them, or idolizing others and entering into a cult of personality, individuals who show none of the traits of Christ. But we're glad with that because, as one pastor said, we want someone who will fight viciously and as nasty as the people that we're opposed to. And how some pastors are talking in their messages about turning the other cheek only to have members of the congregation come and say, don't give us that woke theology. Let me clarify, turning the other cheek are the words of Jesus Christ. I'm not woke. I'm conservative as you can get practically. But there is a distinct separation in my identity with my faith and my politics. Why? Because this is what I see in Scripture. That we're supposed to have the fruit of the Spirit. While the power of those gifts or the power of the politics, whatever, but the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a lot of discussion about regulating guns, and that can be a good conversation we can have or not have, however you want to do that. You know what I think increasingly should be regulated is some of the most terrible weapons we have in our society today. These, I think, are the deadliest weapons that we now wield. We have warriors, some of who are us here in this room, who tap out and then press that, that send button to let that sword fall down on someone's head or that bullet leave the chamber. We're incredibly brave behind these, not so much in person. I try to avoid social media because, honestly, I think I'd be too depressed at constantly watching some of the things that you guys post. And then there's also the temptation that I would post something. Onward, Christian soldiers. But instead, we become a stumbling block through a misplaced zeal. This is a good time probably to mention that there is a site out there uh, that you can take a look at later called Rate Your Pastor, so feel free. (laughs) Not kidding, it actually exists. But no, I don't look at it. Jesus came... Prior to Jesus' coming, there were um, a bunch of prior messiahs who'd showed up. They'd always led a group of men, and they'd always done violence. There'd always been an attempt to take over or control things. So um, when Jesus comes, it's confusing to the authorities because he's not doing that stuff. But eventually there's enough jealousy and concern for him that he gets brought before Pilate, and eventually he's going to be crucified. When he's brought before Pilate and he's inquired, are you a king? Are you the same kind of threat? Are you a political issue? What's going on here? Jesus' response is found in John chapter 18, verse 36. John answered this, my kingdom is not a what? Yeah, I want to really have you understand this. My kingdom is not a what? If it were, my followers would what? But it's not that. They would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is what? Jesus is talking here. 
My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It's certainly not America or Canada. We can be appreciative of the blessings that we have, and I think there's unique things God's done in this country, but we are not the new Israel. You know, we're not even mentioned in Scripture, guys. It's not an earthly kingdom that we as Christians allegedly belong to. He says if it was, they'd fight. What makes us think that today we're supposed to demonize, that we're supposed to attack, that we're supposed to get physical, that we're supposed to get angry and mean and ramped up and nasty in the name of Christ? (sighs) I do not understand this. I don't understand why even this message today that there'll be individuals of you that'll sit here and say, I'm done with this church. You guys are not radical enough at this existential moment in time to attack all these even even, and and horrible human beings out there that are taking over our country. I'm a citizen of this country and I want to execute that properly. You want to talk about my politics? We'll talk about that. I I have strong views. I'm a well-read geopolitically and all the rest of the stuff and I'll have an avid fight. But if there's a point in time where you see my politics and you do not see Christ, where I batter you down in an argument, I beat you up so bad that you feel crushed and, 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 and you don't see Christ and that stops you, I stop there because I'm a citizen of this country. But only for a few more decades... Maybe only till tomorrow. Maybe if someone's ticked off enough today, maybe in three or four minutes. <laughs> but I'm only temporarily a citizen of this country. For eternity. I'm a citizen of where? I'm glad some of you thought that. <laughs> I'm sure some of you are saying, well, we're really not so sure. You know? <laughs> think so, but hey. That's my citizenship. So how do I want to live out this few decades, this temporary moment of time as an American to the degree that I can? But my Americanism should be filtered heavily through my heavenly citizenship. Why are we using these methods if they're not methods of the kingdom? This is similar to what I remember growing up. People using the gifts of the Spirit, seeking the power, then going outside and slapping someone upside the head. So much of the church is caught up with idolatry today. Left or right, I'm not trying to pick a fight. Actually, I kind of like that. I think that'll be my slogan this year. Left or right, I'm not trying to pick a fight. (laughs) But this is sending people to hell. Because they see this and say, I don't want any part of that Christ or that Bible or that church that is more caught up with a temporary win than they are eternity. What if instead they saw whatever stance we have, but they saw it executed with love, with joy, and maybe just occasionally some self-control? How would that change this year? The passages I read, Galatians 5, 15 through 26, combining these two together, if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. There's one final thing I want to share with you. 
when I was um, starting off in youth ministry, I've, I've been the vast majority of my ministry in this church. I, I was one year in East Detroit. I came from East Detroit um, as a youth pastor to this church. The first couple of years were some tough years. There was a lot of change. I was a catalyst for that change and therefore a target for that change. And um, my natural man is not violent, but uh, um, competitive, uh, aggressive even, um, especially in leadership. And my natural thing would have been to roll over some things. And, and yet I was checked in that because I'm operating within the church. How does that work? I can't, that shouldn't be, how can, I, how can I be part of building the church by destroying members of the church? And there's a book I came across entitled Tale of Three Kings. And it deeply influenced me at that time. It really taught me, I think, how to operate um, with some degree of humility, some degree of forbearance. I, I, don't, I didn't realize at the time, and only recently have I realized that it was really kind of an expression of the fruit of the Spirit and trying to say this is what we should reach for. But here's, a, here's one passage from that book, two passages that are in the same chapter that I actually wrote out and I've had it as a card in my, on my desk for decades now. I want you to listen to this. There's a vast difference between the outward clothing of the Spirit's power and the inward filling of the Spirit's life. In the first, despite the power, the hidden man of the heart may remain unchanged. In the latter, that monster is dealt with. Now let me read that to you again. There is a vast difference between the outward clothing of the Spirit's power and the inward filling of the Spirit's life. In the first, despite the power and the giftings and the hidden man of the heart may remain unchanged. In the latter, the infilling of the Spirit's life, that monster is dealt with that resides in all of us. And then this question is asked at one point, what does this world need? Gifted men and women outwardly empowered or individuals who are broken, inwardly transformed? And I would say that to you today. What does this world need? Another political entity with spiritual overtones attached to it, but using the same methodology, the same cult worship of leadership, the same mindset and, and methods of power that has abused so many in the past. Or a people that would take their citizenship in this world seriously, but without one moment compromising their citizenship in heaven. That, that they would filter every allegiance and loyalty politically and otherwise and, and reaching for power through the lens of the scripture and through a first and foremost massively overriding allegiance to Jesus Christ that would not divide the church just because someone voted differently or thought differently, but would protect the unity of the church that would listen to a message like this and not be spending the whole time being defensive in their mind, but maybe being convicted and maybe repenting 
Because this political cycle will end. But people's need for the truth, for Christ, will go on. Father, I, I pray this morning, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that, that your words would transform our heart and our minds. I pray whatever words I brought to this gathering that are truly of you and your spirit would reflect in hearts and minds and bring transformation. Whatever tone or attitude that is not of that would be stricken from their minds. But Father, realign our thinking this day, I pray. This is really important stuff. I pray this in Jesus' name. You have a choice in this year. There are two forces constantly fighting each other. You can let idolatry, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, all these other things. You can let that dominate your feed and your agenda and your personality. Or you can choose to pursue not the power, but God himself and the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> Remember, rateyourpastor.com. <laughs> Father, I... I pray for your church locally and across this nation, Lord God, that we would not forego and forswear our, our influence in this world, this eternity, for some short-term gains, no matter how tempting it may be. You were once stood upon a pinnacle and offered all the kingdoms of the world, and you said no. I pray we will look and do the same. Guide us, give us wisdom, give us discernment, I pray, in this season. And good fruit, I pray. Prune us where you would, but good fruit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.